it's pretty much all I do. Like it's my job, but it's my life as well. You know, it's like, you know, I don't, uh, I pretty much spend like all day, every day working on stuff. And, and there's some weeks where technically I don't have a day off. definitely a combination of me like you know working myself into the ground making myself ill and then gradually coming out of that to and then being you know getting used to not having any money for a very long time to then eventually getting to the point where I started earning a bit of money so yeah it was definitely a long uphill struggle for me you know If moving 150 miles away from all my friends and family, if that's what it takes, then, then that's what I'll do, you know. And, and I still kind of reflect back on that decision and it's still, I feel like it's still one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know, in my life. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the One More Thing podcast, a series of interviews with inspiring minds across the electronic music sphere. This month I'm talking to DJ Hybrid, a man who's regularly described as one of the hardest working people in drum and bass and jungle, and we're about to find out exactly why he really does deserve that title. A multiple label owner, DJ, producer and veritable one-man army, his mission to make music, his full-time career has involved many, many years of graft and sacrifice, but it's definitely paying off as he is now regarded as one of the most longest standing, one of the most consistent and one of the most influential pioneers for the new generation of jungle and drum and bass producers. So stick around and stay tuned for the next hour and a half as we hear DJ Hybrid's origin story and find out how he balances the many roles and missions you need to in order to make it a success in underground dance music. My name is Dave Colombo Jenkins and if you like what you're hearing please help us spread the word, share this podcast with your pals, drop us a message, follow us on social media and subscribe to us on Patreon so we can continue supporting independent music, creative innovation and underground culture. Big up. Alex, Mr. DJ Hybrid, how the devil are you, man? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Cool, cool. This has been long overdue. We've done lots and lots of interviews, but we've not done a podcast yet. We're going to find out loads and loads of stuff about your musical journey and where you're yeah. at. And I think it's an appropriate time. I mean, one of your labels, Deep in the Jungle, has just turned 10. And yeah. it just seems like this year has been a, a really a really strong payoff year for you. You've been incredibly yeah, prolific sure. every single year, but it does seem like a lot of things are kind of falling into place. And you're getting more props and more spotlight and more exposure on key labels than yeah. I've seen you get ever before. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think um, this year it's definitely been a combination of that. But I think this year I've I've kind of gone out of my way to um, try and work with more labels rather than just kind of focusing on my own, really. So I suppose this this year I've tried to like 
diversify a bit more in, in scene if you like you know yeah yeah definitely with like different tempos as well like you've been yeah, experimenting absolutely. on hardcore energy like kind of 150 160 type of stuff yeah. um yeah yeah i mean that's i i actually did a little bit of a count before we came onto this call and i counted 38 original tracks so far so this is now second of november we're chatting now was that it's this year I've yeah yeah just this oh, okay, year cool. that's not cool. including remixes by you or remixes yeah. of you it's also not including the instrumentals from the most wanted ep because the yeah. originals landed in december last year but yeah, yeah around about there's probably going to be by the end of 2023 over 40 original dj hybrid productions more than there were at the start of the year i try and aim to make at least one of uh, like original like one new tune a week at like minimum like creatively that's what the goal has set myself so yeah i think that you know that sounds about right <laughs> oh cool so you don't actually keep counting them then no i mean i didn't i mean i knew i knew it was like you know obviously i think there was one one month uh this year where i had i had like a release coming out every month every week sorry um, so yeah, no, it makes it makes sense that it's that it's that many. To be fair, yeah. Yeah, are you the type of person once you've started a track, even if you know that it's not going to be your best track yet, will you finish it? Will you see it through to completion? Because I know a lot of producers um, are like that. Some have yeah. loads of whips sitting on their hard drive, mm. and they know that they're just waiting for that extra bit of inspiration or that extra idea to push it over the edge other people will go no i've started this so i'm going to finish it as part of almost for your mental health and a sense of completion really in that way Mm. finish it move on finish it move on yeah i definitely i mean that's definitely like creatively like that's you know that ideally that's the way i'd like to do it like you know finish like say get to a point where i'm happy with something and just keep writing and keep moving on to the next thing um but yeah i know what you mean in the past like inevitably there has been you know tracks where you know maybe i haven't worked on for that long and the kind of the creativity's kind of like gone from it a little bit and it feels like a bit of a struggle uh, to finish it so yeah inevitably there would be a lot of work in progresses that i haven't finished but i feel like in recent years it's kind of those tunes now um i feel like i've got a little bit more motivation to finish those tunes one for either stuff potentially that could go on my patreon um, but two, also things with um, like, say, if there's a good a tune that's like, it's got good elements in it, but I don't have the enthusiasm to finish it, like creatively. I'll go through and like gut all the good bits out of it for sample packs. So I'll I'll take you know bits like bass loops and drums and little patches and stuff like that, and they kind of go towards the sample packs that I do on Patreon every month. You know, so um so yeah i suppose i don't finish the tune in 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 the sense of like it's going to get released but i think nowadays i I probably always have um you know i I can always find a place for something you know yeah wow i hadn't thought about that that's a really cool way of using bits that aren't going to see the final light of day as an actual track but to put them on sample packs or to reutilize them in that type of way that's really nice efficiency then so you know that your time is never being wasted in that way yeah yeah no i I always try and get something out of you know i'll get something out of it somewhere along the line you know like i'll always make use of it if i can you know yeah 
definitely. And this is only you as a producer. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about you as a DJ as well. You've done some great tours. You, you played for me at Balta Festival this year and stuff like that. But as a label owner, you've also mm. been incredibly busy. And you've, I mean, we've mentioned now just um, just now like 10 years of Deep in the Jungle, but there's been monthly EPs um, and some album releases as well on Deep in yeah. the Jungle. Uh, that's been incredibly just as prolific as your own out, um, output, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think, you know, I'll probably go at the labels with with the same kind of, um, you know, the, the same idea with my own career, really. And I like to, you know, keep keep things moving. I like to be quite like prolific with the releases. And, you know, I, I suppose, um, especially nowadays in the scene, you know, things move very fast now. So I just feel like, you know, with with my own tunes in terms of a producer and then also in terms of the label, like I always want to keep head above water and just keep making sure that there's stuff there for, for people that are interested you know there's always something new there for them to check out you know yeah 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 it does seem to be getting faster and faster yeah. doesn't it that kind <laughs> of faster. urgency or immediacy um for for new music new material mm. new activities in any type of way really. yeah there's a lot a lot of pressure to to be to keep coming with the goods but not even just with the music um, also in terms of like content on social media and all this stuff it's just a constant pressure to just constantly have uh, you know things that people are going to be interested in just coming left right and center you know yeah how does that leave you feeling sometimes because it's impossible as a human being to constantly be at that max output level really um yeah i mean i think in in terms of like like creatively like i genuinely always want to be creating and, and writing and that's just the kind of person I am you know I've always been a very creative person um so that kind of that's something that I would want to do regardless of, of any any external things but I think when it comes to the labels um it's I you know I love I love doing the labels and I love um you know bringing new artists through and, and curating you know albums and, and music and, and releases and things I feel like sometimes with, with the labels it does get a little bit on top of me and then that impacts on my own creative work and sometimes I have to I mean like we were saying before it's a, it's a bit of a balancing act you know but um for example the last couple of weeks you know I've took a, a couple of weeks off from labeled stuff just purely to focus on my own music with no no distractions you know um so that's fine but then I think in terms of like social media and you know creating content and, and all this kind of stuff I think that's where I really have to dig deep because that's kind of the stuff that if I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't. But there's yeah. like there, there's a pressure to to be uh, active or to be seen to be active on social media. And, and, and I have to do it, you know, more Definitely. so because I have to rather because I want to, you know. No, definitely. I'm feeling that really. I want to come back to the that kind of just that needs that incessant drive to be creative because I can mm. relate to that. And I want to find out more about that part of your approach in a moment. Yeah. But with the labels, because you've made some quite big changes with how you run labels and yeah, Deep in sure. the Jungle especially um, is kind of known for breaking so many new artists and so much new music. At the start of the year, you gave people a bit of a scare, didn't you? You thought a lot of people thought, inclu including myself for a minute or two until yeah. I properly looked into it, it did look like you're actually going to close down one of your labels deep in the jungle. <laughs> but I understand why you did that because these compilations are huge. Like you, every year you're putting out like 50 track compilations yeah. of brand new stuff. 
now having released compilations myself as a label the amount of admin yeah. the amount of it's metadata and all yeah. of that paperwork and all the fiddly stuff which you have to do for each single artist or otherwise it doesn't get picked up doesn't get playlisted and there's yeah. no point in releasing it if you don't do it like it is so long yeah. and it and is was, so dry i was uh, mastering and engineering a lot of the tracks as well oh my so. god as well so that's <laughs> like on top of everything else yeah. wow yeah. wow was that an easy decision to make because I mean, it's a real it's a lovely accomplishment isn't it when you put out a huge body of work like that and you know that you're making so many artists days and you're giving loads of people a great exposure and putting their music out into the world but that must have been incredibly time draining for you yeah it was i mean i think it was you know if you go back to like you know when i started the label 10 years ago um you know i feel like the, the label was kind of like going under the radar until we started releasing the compilations and I think one thing I always really loved, like, you know, the old school jungle compilations where you've got, you know, like 100% jungle and, you you know, it's got all the, the old anthems on there. So I originally, I just really wanted to try and recreate that concept of like, I mean, originally I was like, you know, getting them all made as actual CDs as well. And, you know, I was like, wanted to actually, you know, have these like, like an old school jungle compilation, but obviously new, new tunes on there, you know, and I feel like that's kind of, when the label kind of got noticed and started to take off and then you know it it, it ended up just being becoming an annual thing where every year it'd be like right i better start getting <laughs> you know getting tunes together for this compilation you know and then, and then the compilations kind of started getting bigger as well i think you know we went from like 25 tunes to 30 tunes to 40 tunes to and then 50 tunes you know um and and it was great and and uh, you know i'm really looking back on all the different volumes you know I'm, I'm really glad that we we did it and we did it for so many years as well but um but yeah i think you know it, it comes down to yeah it, i'm just one person at the end of the day i don't have a team of people around me um i do a lot of the uh, you know i essentially do it all myself i do all the admin i do all the you know sometimes uh, you know the mastering and the engineering uh if i'm too busy i outsource a little bit to epicenter um because obviously he you know he's good like that uh he's got a good studio but but yeah it, it just became a huge undertaking every year for me to be you know working on these compilations and putting the the track list together and engineering them so yeah and I just felt like we we've done it for so many years now that it was probably time to kind of switch things up anyway and it kind of coincided um with with a time where I kind of felt like I needed more time me creativity you know creatively as well like I wanted to you know spend more time in the studio working on my own music and so yeah it was kind of a combination of those things which led me to the decision to to stop doing the compilations you know but as I said to people it's only we're not you know we may release compilations in in the future but we're just not going to be so orientated around doing these big compilations every year we're going to focus more on the individual artists now rather than the, the collective yeah definitely i think it's it's really refreshing to switch it up anyway but then it gives yeah. you that space to be able to do that and come up with new concepts so you don't feel like you're being stale but i think that's such a good point about being like literally a one-man army and i mm-hmm. can relate to that and um you know i got to shout out a couple of people who've just joined my team like in recent months mark and annalise and it's so nice being able to bounce ideas off people because when you're on your own doing everything, the admin, the creative side, the content, the social media, the invoices, the taxes, everything, like you're eating, sleeping and breathing it. There's a real fulfillment in that in DIY culture. Mm. But it's also 
if you don't reach out at certain points, like you say, you know, sometimes you have to outsource, otherwise you're going to make yourself yeah. ill. That is the downside. And that is the reality of being in this world as a creative individual. The DIY culture isn't always as glamorous or as kind of cool. You know, you can make it sound very cool, but I mean, it just takes yeah. up so much, so much time when you're on your own, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, people always ask me, um, you know, like obviously when I'm traveling about doing shows and, you know, I, I get asked the question quite a lot, like, oh, is, is music like your full-time job then? And I'm like, yeah, and they're like, oh, well, that's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's not, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's pretty much all I do. Like, it's my job, but it's my life as well. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, I don't, uh, I pretty much spend like all day, every day working on stuff. And, and there's some weeks where technically I don't have a day off because, you know, I'll be in the studio a few days a week. I'll be doing label uh, admin stuff a few days a week. Then I'll be traveling, doing shows. You know, I might travel back from a show Sunday, have a little rest on Sunday night, and then I'm back to it on, you know, on Monday. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's good, but it's it's relentless and it's, you know, it's nonstop. So it's it's one of those things, really. Like, I'm, you know, I, I enjoy doing everything that I do, but um, sometimes I don't think people realize, like, how much actually goes into it on a on a day-to-day, week-to-week kind of basis. Oh, massively. And the grass is always greener as well, isn't it? Like I talk yeah. to a lot of artists who, you know, they'll say like, oh, I wish I could just be 24 seven on this. It's <laughs> like There are downsides to that. Like at least if you've got your job, let's say delivering something or let's yeah. say working in an office, um, just a, a kind of, you know, a regular job like you or I would have worked before but getting into this industry is the beauty of being able to walk out of that work or get out of that van or get off that building site at five yeah. o'clock go home and not think about work until the next morning yeah whereas with yourself with myself and with loads of others of our of our peers you never stop thinking about it you go to bed yeah. thinking about it you wake up thinking about it you check your email sometimes if you're really really on it and you're worried about a certain situation if you wake up at three in the morning you'll check your fucking emails like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it can get like that and it's in your head all of the time it's been like this for so long and i know it has for you as well like i can't remember what life is like without thinking constantly about what you do for a living and what the next thing is you need to do even when you're taking a holiday or taking a bit of time yeah. off it's always there isn't there and there's yeah. there's there's a downside to that isn't it it's not always kind of yeah, yeah. It, it, it's how do you deal with kind of getting that out of your head or how do you deal with that incessant kind of activity where you're thinking about so many different projects mm. uh, I feel like I'm still trying to work that out really I think it's, <laughs> yeah. um I mean I've definitely had you know different ways of, of doing things and I've refined the way I do things many many times over the years you know um I think now I think I used to just try and do a bit of everything every day you know and, and be trying to essentially do like three four people's jobs you know all at the same time which I've stopped doing now because it felt a bit much and I suppose now I kind of I like divide my week up you know so I'll have you know a, a f two or three days a week where I'm like right that is my studio time and I I'm doing nothing else other than thinking about being creative and no distractions and then I'll have you know days doing the label stuff and then days traveling doing shows obviously you know but yeah and if I'm lucky I might have the odd weekend off or the odd day off um but yeah I think you know when it comes to those those times off um yeah it, it is hard to kind of to to disconnect and, and switch off sometimes and, and truly relax you know and um and also sometimes I find like when I've had 
maybe a few days off or, or a long weekend off or something, it almost like throws me off my game a bit. So when I then get try and get back into work, I'm, I'm a bit kind of lagging a little bit and I'm a little bit rusty. And in a in a weird kind of sadistic way, I kind of find it easier just to keep working constantly because I feel like I'm, oh, just, I'm always on top of my game. Then you know, although that's not it's not the, the the best idea because obviously everyone needs a break every now and again. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you're getting into kind of and I feel exactly the same. It's toxic workaholism because it's yeah. because you're taking enjoyment. I mean, this is we get into yeah. this because we take so much pleasure from it, and we're really blessed to have this occupation yeah, I mean, and this really lifestyle. Like, this is this is all I ever wanted to do. So you know, it's like I feel like you know, no matter like my worst my worst week of work or my worst day of work doing this is still better than my best day of work doing any previous job that I had. So there's only so much I can complain, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And I found that like Christmas time, if you take a week off of Christmas time and then it's that first week of January and you've got to like, it's like you've got to take a run up, really take a deep breath, yeah. and take a run up. It's like, right, yeah. what is it I do again? How do I do it? How on earth do I keep all of those plates spinning all at the same time? Mm. And when they're all spinning, then you've got to move around and nudge them all in the way that you just said, you know, you you dedicate certain days to it or you find techniques. When yeah. you stop them all spinning, you've got to start them up again. There's that kind of strange turbulence of like, right, OK, let's let's get back up to speed on this a bit like warming up for the gym or something like that or yeah, warming up before yeah, a match definitely. or something yeah definitely. yeah so what did you do i know you worked in a record shop before but what mm. other jobs have you had prior to going full-time on music and can you remember the day where you were able to go full-time on music yeah i, I can so um the, the kind of jobs i had I, I mean i didn't do i didn't do great at school you know i kind of dropped out of college uh twice um, I was doing graphic design at college, but I, I didn't really get very far with it and my heart wasn't in it. Um, the kind of jobs that I, that I did, you know, I worked in the DVD shop. Um, I worked in a cinema for a bit. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I worked in a record shop for, you know, that was probably one of the, the better jobs that I had because it was obviously related to music. Um, and then I think the last job that I had before I really went full time with music is I started working in kitchens and um, started working as a kitchen porter like watching dishes and and this was just purely to, to pay the rent at the time you know but um I went way up to to being a chef for like a, about a year or so and wow. um I worked in a couple of restaurants and uh you know I just made myself really really ill basically doing that job yeah because um, that's a really I, antisocial really uh, intense horrible, like yeah, intensive labor intensive yeah, job like it's, most it's the chefs. hardest job I've ever yeah. done it's it's insane wow. you know and, and the, the stress that was involved in it uh, and I was doing like split shifts as well so I was you know working like doing a 12-hour shift like going home like finishing at one in the morning going home and then having to get up and be back there to prep at like 10 11 in the morning you know so um but yeah I, I made myself ill doing that really so um so yeah basically I went from working as a chef to then um basically quitting that job because it was making me ill and then I sort of had a bit of time off um which funnily enough gave me more time to to work on music um but then I still had a few years of like well you know I wasn't quite full time with music because I couldn't I wouldn't have said I, I wasn't really earning a living from it although I was I was working on it like it was my full-time job but I wasn't actually you know earning a living from it I think the the time where I really kind of uh consider you know me starting it as a full-time job and, and and you know earning enough money to warrant it being my full-time job was probably about 
seven or eight years ago when I went and did my first tour in in the USA and Canada because that uh, from doing that tour you know I earned like a well I earned like more money than I'd earned doing anything else before and and that wow. felt like a nice chunk of money to to live off for you know for X amount of time and then I suppose it just kind of it went from there really and then obviously the, the shows picked up and then obviously started getting paid a little bit more for shows and and I suppose it all kind of went from there really right yeah 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 i mean that that does sound like the kind of traditional hustle that so yeah. many people will be able to relate to so there wasn't a definitive day where you could just stick your middle finger up at your old employer <laughs> and walk out and live the musician's no, life no. in it any definitely way a combination of me like but you know working myself into the ground making myself ill and then gradually coming out of that to and then being you know, getting used to not having any money for a very long time to then eventually yeah. getting to the point where I started earning a bit of money. So, yeah, it was definitely a long uphill struggle for me, you know. Yeah, I, as it is for so many people, and we've we've spoken about this in other interviews as well, one thing mm. we haven't ever spoken about, and I was wondering this when I was sort of preparing for this conversation, is I don't know your origin story. I know all of these parts. Like, I didn't know mm. all of the jobs that you've done. But I, I, I'm really interested. I've asked a lot of people this in this podcast series about first musical memories, like that first yeah. time where you might have had an inkling that music might play quite a dominant role in your life. Have you got anything like that? Was your upbringing quite musical? What were your uh, parents? Yeah, like, I think so. You know, my mum uh, was an artist, so I always wow, had, yeah, wow, always like a professional artist. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, she, you know, she, she didn't do it like as a full time job, but. She had quite a lot of, she did watercolour paintings and she, you know, she did quite a few like, you know, exhibitions and things like that. And sold Amazing. Here and there. Um, so, and she, she always did kind of like jobs that were creative as well. So I had, a, I definitely had that creative influence growing up and I, I was always doing creative things when I was younger. I was always like, you know, making things or drawing or painting and things like that. I used to go to like life drawing classes with her when I was like, six or seven years old and like you know, I used to, honestly I used to do all kinds of artistic things and then my dad was was quite musical as well you know he used to play guitar and um yeah I mean they, they were both quite musical to be fair like my dad used to listen to a lot of like uh, a lot of rock music and my mum used to listen to a lot of like funk and soul music and stuff like that so yeah I mean I definitely feel like you know I, I definitely had a, a lot of uh you know either creative or you know just musical influences growing up yeah wow brilliant okay so you were brought up in that kind of creative culture it was encouraged of you in that yeah for sure i think they, the, the way uh, i've definitely always been encouraged to like be creative and i, I definitely think that's like you know contributed to the, the way i am in yeah. later life you know because i think now that i think back to it it's like i was always going to do a job that was like creative in some capacity like i was never going to you know i was never going to do like a nine to five office job it was always going to be something creative you know one way or another yeah yeah how about electronic music when did the kind of dj culture and things like that start to seep into your psyche into your into your upbringing and your interests and inspirations yeah so i think when i was when i was a young teenager i was very much into like rock and heavy metal and punk music and stuff like that but then gradually i think i i'd start i think one of my friends gave me like a garage mixtape when i was about 14 and i used to listen to this garage mixtape all the time and i really loved that and then i yeah and i suppose as i kind of got towards like the age of 15 16 i started to get into more 
kind of electronica music and and you know things like um like ninja tune like like mr scruff and mm. uh you know the herbalizer and dj food and stuff like that so i i think i you know was really into that kind of stuff for a long time and i was a big hip-hop head as well so i used to listen to like trip hop electronica hip-hop and then i think it was probably when i started going out you know to to events and raves that's when i started to get into like the more uh energetic like electronic music like i started going out to like hard house raves and hardcore and, and then eventually drum and bass you know so it all i suppose it, it gradually went from like you know like bands to you know electronic music to then just like rave music essentially you know yeah i could identify with that journey as well and take yeah. a lot <laughs> of those boxes what was your first ever rave like the first time um, and did it were you underage did you have an underage oh no so like I, I was always, i've always had a very young looking face at my age so <laughs> i could when i was uh when i was i mean i was still getting id when i was like 30 so when i was eight when i was like 17 years old there's no chance i was getting to because i used to get <laughs> i used to get id'd all the time because i had a baby face so yeah the first the first real proper rave that i went to was actually creamfields um, oh, yeah and that was i think it was like 2004 2005 kind of time and that was you know obviously when i was when i was 18 or whatever and um yeah that was kind of the first i think i'd been to like you know before that it was like house parties really that was like my, my first kind of like introduction to to djing and you know listening to music loud and stuff was essentially house parties when i was younger but then yeah went from when i was 18 onwards and i started actually going to events i think creamfields was like the first proper you know proper big event i went to brilliant we went to creamfields religiously all of those years all of the ones mm -hmm. up in liverpool and then it moved to daresbury yeah. and yeah. then it turned into a camping one it's still a behemoth of a festival now it's great to see that it's still a tradition and it's still just as if not bigger than when we went as kids i'm yeah. just a few years older than you but similar age age and those mm -hmm. those years are formative you know that's where i that's where i heard that, that particular creamfields 2004 creamfields was the first time i heard marky and saw a marquee set and was you know going more and more towards the kind of drum and bass sound myself yeah. there uh, but what are your memories then of that you know now well, looking back as a full-time dj type of thing you know yeah i mean I, so i remember i mean at, at this point i was very much into a bit of everything you know i wasn't like necessarily a, a drum and bass head i, I like drum and bass and jungle but I, you know i was into everything so i went to the festival with a very open mind you know to, to what music we were going to see um, and I think, you know, I remember seeing uh, Faithless on the main stage. And yeah. I think after Faithless, it, Andy C was playing and it was the Accelerated Culture tent at that point. Yeah. And I'd never seen Andy C before. And obviously everyone was like, oh, I need to go and see Andy C. And um, so, yeah, I think it was about midnight. Faithless had just finished their set on the main stage. And me and my mates went over to the, the Accelerated Culture tent. And yeah, it just it blew me away. And I think I spent the, the rest of the, the festival in the accelerated culture tent, you know. So I seen like it was like Andy T, Hype, Zinc, uh, Dillinger and Lemon D. And yeah, I pretty much spent the rest of the, the night in that tent really. And I feel wow. like from, from that from that like day onwards I was like I was like, yeah, I, I want to do drum and bass. Like that's that's my kind of thing, you know. Wow, wow. Okay, how about your first ever DJ set then? So around about this time, you yeah. would have been mixing and stuff like that. Yeah. Or was it was I it mean, always like, 
friends decks or did you get decks yourself and really kind of set out yeah and be i did kind of... i mean I, I i there was definitely like my friends that had decks before me um but again you know they used to do all kinds of different music like some people used to to scratch and do a bit of like hip-hop and stuff and then some people used to mix like garage or hard house and, and one of them makes mixed drum and bass um, so I think, yeah, probably at first I was probably just having a go on someone else's decks. And then I think I got some of my own decks on on finance. You know, it's like just a cheap pair to, to get me going. And uh, I think I started off originally, you know, I was buying like hip hop records and I was going to do a bit more like turntablism, scratching and that kind of stuff. And then um, so we used to go to like house parties and I used to, you know, maybe do a little bit of house parties, but not loads because I was like the less experienced one out of out of my friends. And then, yeah, I think gradually I started getting into mixing more like, you know, like hard house and, uh, you know, things like that to, to practice with like beat matching and then eventually, you know, got into more like drum and bass. So I think the first the first ever like proper set I played out in a, in a club was a um a place called graduates well it used to be called graduates in coventry and it was like this dingy little basement uh club and yeah there was probably i don't know probably like less less than 50 people there um but that was that was my first experience of actually playing a set to people you know and i think off the back of that i got offered a, a set at another event you know off, off the back of that first set so i suppose like i played that first set and then people got to know me around the, around the city that I lived in. And then it kind of went from there. And I started getting bookings on other people's events and, and stuff then, you know. Right. What was Coventry like around about that time? I mean, I associate Coventry mainly through stories from people like Ray Keith and Doc yeah. Scott. Um, Doc Scott obviously coming from Coventry. Yeah. And stuff, but there was the eclipse. Like, there was, you know, the, the Midlands yeah. has a really important role within UK club culture and underground yeah. music. What was it like around that time? So we're talking kind of early 2000s. Really, yeah, so it? early 2000s. So, like, we obviously had the the the... Pete, the promoters and the ravers that were obviously there in the 90s that were the, the older crowd, you know, and we'd go out and they'd be telling us about, oh, yeah, you know, used to like the, the eclipse back in the day. And so I kind of grew up hearing things about that. But obviously never, you know, it was a bit before my time actually going there. Mm. I think in the early 2000s, there was there was definitely things going on drum and bass wise in the city, but it was very much like DIY like young young groups of friends kind of forming these little crews that they we'd all put on events so there was like three or four little you know crews that we had in Coventry that used to kind of like we used to be like rival each other and put on, try and put on events and they're all just small events with locals and stuff um but yeah it was good I mean it was I suppose we were, we were all trying to one-up each other and that kind of that kind of drove the the scene you know a little bit more in in the city locally you know um but yeah there, there was it, it was good at that time there was a few people like i don't know if you know like mc toddler mm, uh, yeah like he was you know he was like a, a regular obviously he's from coventry as well and he was in one of these one of these other crews and we used to do events with him regularly and, and it's funny because I, I still work with him now you know i was doing a set with him in leeds just this friday gone you know so oh, wow. it's kind of funny because you know me and him we both started off in coventry doing these little events you know with, with our individual groups of mates you know 15 Odd years ago and and even you know now 15 years later we're still 
you know sort of doing things together you know one way or another you know so it's nice i love that is anybody else come through then that people don't know is from coventry from that original kind Um, of time i'm not sure because there were so many people at the time in coventry and and everyone kind of talked a big game like everyone was like you know saying they were in it to win it like in it for life kind of thing but (laughs) um but no i I think you know really uh, i think you know me and toddler and you know maybe a, a couple of other people but i'm struggling to think of my head but i feel i feel like we're the, the only ones that have kind of carried it through for uh to it actually being our main job like our main career you know i feel like there's still a lot of people in the city that are very passionate about it and they they dj at local events still you know but it, it may not necessarily be like you know they're they're doing it as a full-time job they still just do it for the love of it really you know which is which is obviously good as well that they're still doing it for the love massively i mean the scene is kind of founded we've talked about like the pressures of doing this full-time but the scene mm. is founded upon like those crews who are just doing it that's their hobby that's their weekend football that's yeah. their five aside that's their gym that is that is their outlet from the frustrations of life and that is what this whole culture is founded on that you know one percent of us might be doing this full-time or working in it full-time the the reality is the majority of people do have an you know another job they've got family commitments they've got yeah. mortgages bills which are constantly going up and but yet they still do their regular nights and they still get together and have a mix and do you know they these kind of smaller underground nights and a lot of that is still you know that's where you've come from that's where i've come from it's where a lot of bookings come from as well around the country isn't it you know these kind of smaller promoters who are working in small venues who just do it out of pure love Um, and they still you know i would imagine quite a lot of your regular weekend schedule is you know going around the country meeting up with crews like this really i was gonna say yeah that's that's literally not my bread and butter you know playing at these these events by you know like say the promoters that are doing it for the love of it you know so yeah it's definitely not always the big events with the big uh you know the big like promoters that are doing it as a career it, you know more more so than often it is just the people that are doing it for the love and like you say they they just like bringing you down to the event they like hosting you and they like meeting you and stuff like that and and for, and you can see that they're passionate about it you know when when you go and, and yeah that that is definitely like you know a lot of the regular gigs i do it's that kind of setup yeah yeah and i think you know it's it's a privilege to go down and check out particular nights like that so i was playing at a night literally this weekend just gone where you've played for them as well at the tunnel in haverford west it's a really small venue but it's run by people and it's a privilege to go and meet you know and they were introducing me to lots of regulars yeah so they're really nice group of guys down there super nice group of guys like shout out to all of them but shout out to all of those type of crews because when you go down and when you're a guest and you're invited and even if you were to just go down to that town or up to that that town and spend the weekend and go there anyway people make you feel so welcome they're really proud of their town because it's like yo we we, we might not be bristol we might not be <laughs> manchester or london but this is what we've got and it's a real yeah. honor to kind of be part like an honorary member of this little community or of these yeah, like really buzzing communities and i think you know like it's it's a privileged position to go up and down the country and to to play a role in that and to see how these crews work because whether you're up in the like the top of the highlands or right down in like i don't know cornwall or somewhere like that from the north to the south there is this kind of culture this founding kind of this thread that everybody kind of shares out of pure passion and we're lucky to see that across the country isn't it yeah yeah no that's it i like to say i mean you know i had i was up in um aberdeen a few weeks ago you know what i mean they're really lovely people up there and then 
I was down in um, in Torquay, you know, auto viewing to go. And, <laughs> and like you say, from from south to north, you know, that you people are just as passionate about it, and they've they've got their own little crews and their own little, um, you know, local following and stuff. And, and yeah, it is, it is lovely to see. I think I mean I've always been like super passionate about doing this thing, so I feel like anyone, <clears throat> you know, anyone that like. I see is also being super passionate. Like I'm, you know, immediately going to kind of respect them and, and get on with them because we share, we have a, a shared passion, you know? Yeah, definitely. So in terms of geography, what took you then? Cause you're now based kind of near Brighton. I think it's more wording type of way. Yeah, isn't wording, it? Yeah. Um, what took you down there? And I know that you take a lot of fulfillment from living by the sea, don't you? So that's, mm. you know, I so said like from going right in the middle, probably the most landlocked area of England. Yeah. You know, right Co down just to the outside coast. of, um, just outside of Coventry is, is the most central point in the whole of England, like officially yeah. on the map. The furthest <laughs> away from any sea yeah. or anything it's the, middle, like it's the middle of the Midlands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it that took you down there and how did your life kind of, and what impact did that have on your life? What positive impact? Um, so I think, you know, I was I was at a very um, transitional kind of period in my life, really. You know, I was kind of I'd gone from doing events locally in Coventry and being a local a regular local DJ on the, the local circuit in Coventry. And that, that was good. And we had a great time doing it. Um, but. I, you know, I really wanted more than that. You know, I wanted, I didn't just want to be like a, a local DJ in my hometown. I wanted to, you know, be a, be a DJ, you know, globally or, or at least up and down the country or whatever. So um, that was around the time that I really got into more into production and obviously started the labels, you know. So it was kind of a period of time where I was almost taking a step back from, from DJing. You know, I went from DJing in my hometown every weekend to barely doing a show for a year or two and I spent that whole amount of time just being in the studio working on music and trying to get the label off the ground and that was also around the time that I decided to move down here you know and um, there was a combination of reasons really I think you know a change of scenery for, for one you know um, but also yeah I just felt like um, you know I wanted to go somewhere where there was a different music scene you know and obviously down here uh, you know, I'm, I'm just outside of Brighton, but obviously, my, you know, moving down here, I obviously had the um, the intention of trying to get involved or, or asserting myself in the Brighton scene, you know, one way or another. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just I, I was just trying to reach out and network and stuff like that. And also, I think creatively, it, it kind of did wonders for me moving down here because, you know, I went from having, you know, quite a vibrant social life in Coventry and like people, you know, coming, coming, knocking around my house all the time and this, that and the other to, you know, kind of being having no distractions and, and just being able to sit in solitude and, and just be creative. And, and I feel like my production kind of came on leaps and bounds then, wow. you know, um, so that's, so yeah. a, that's a yeah. huge sacrifice. I it, think. It, it is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like if you'd have spoke to me, my younger self, you know, I was like one of those people who was basically like, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to be successful, you know? So if moving 150 miles away from all my friends and family, if that's what it takes, then, then that's what I'll do, you know? And, and I still kind of reflect back on that decision. And it's still, I feel like it's still one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know, in my life, because, you know, as much as like, I had a great time in my younger years in Coventry, 
you know, I feel like I I don't think I would wanted to stay there for my entire life. And I, I really love living down here. Like I've literally got like the seas literally just across the road from where I live. And I, I love having that there. And also I love, you know, um, being quite close to Brighton as well, because obviously when after about a year of me moving down here, obviously I didn't know anyone at first, but within about a year of me living down here, that's when I started to get network with people in Brighton and then I became a regular kind of e-day in in the Brighton scene which was you know and, and obviously you know all of those people that I met in the Brighton scene of that's who I uh, are my kind of mates down here and the connections I've made you know so so yeah it was yeah. it was a combination of things but yeah overall it's I, I you know I still consider it like some of the best probably decisions I made like personally for my life but also like decisions that I made career-wise as well. Yeah, it kind of galvanizes that one man army vibe that you carry about you as well, though, making that leap and, you know, kind of going on your own. Because the usual move that people make is when they go to study somewhere else or they take yeah. a job somewhere else or they've met somebody else. And then you tap into those other social networks, whereas you identify Brighton as a healthy scene and what a scene as well, you know, like Shogun Audio, mm. um, a subliminal with Agro yeah. Overview, although they weren't around at the time when you set up, but no. Pete was doing parties and stuff mm. back then. Volks, like Brighton's an amazing, beautiful, artistic scene and stuff. Yeah. But you made that move on your own with no kind of like, uh, you know, uh, existing networks in place there. That's a huge move to take. It's not like moving to another country, but that's still like you know you created this place of solitude for yourself mm. really to give yourself that freedom as a creative person to completely change your life there really or write a whole new chapter really and yeah. reinvent yourself as a producer rather than just a, a kind of a local hard-working dj yeah that that was it really yeah that was what i wanted to go from because everyone knew me in, in coventry as, as like a local dj and stuff and and it's even like one of those things where you know you see people that you know in in coventry that you either grew up with or you know them from the scene and you know, you bump into them, they're like, oh, you're still, you're still doing that DJ thing, you're still doing the music and that, and you're like, yeah, I'm still still doing it, you know. And um, I feel like, you know, in a way, I, people didn't really take me seriously until I moved down here and started doing all the things I'm doing, you know, because, every, you know, back in when I lived in Coventry, like, everyone was an aspiring DJ, you know. Every, everyone was, like, you know, trying to, trying to do the DJ thing, you know, but no one was really doing the so much doing the, the production thing and definitely not the label thing you know and when I you know really moved down here and put all my efforts into production and, la and the labels that's when I found people started to actually take notice and be like oh fucking oh yeah like oh you're, you're doing you're doing all right actually like you're, you're putting all everything you've got into it you know yeah, yeah man I mean that's that was my point of entry from you and this is where I started to get impressed by what you were doing so I was first I was doing a radio show around 2014 2015 um, yeah. and I was playing all of this stuff on both of your labels and I and I've, I've told you this before like you know I would be going for walks around the mountains because I'd moved to another area but it was to set up a family and I was thinking like mm. man I, I need to get this man a pint he's just so <laughs> like because of the just the output and like you know all yeah. the other artists on the label some of my close his friends like scar tip i found out about through compilations of yours and stuff mm. but then when we did our first interview around about this time kind of mid 2010s you know you, the reasons for you setting up the labels were because you got into production you weren't getting a bite off the rams and the players and the, the labels that you really wanted to see yourself on and have been inspired mm. by kind of coming through 
so you set up your labels it's just like well if nobody else is going to release my music i'm going to do it myself um which i think is incredibly like it's it in one hand it's a really old school way like that's yeah. exactly what andy c and hype and everybody else was doing setting up these seminal labels which we still love to this day but also a very new school like you know your work ethic and everything that we've spoken about before is also very kind of that is a reflection of how everybody has to work now really just being that all-rounder doing absolutely everything because you can't they you know you can't pay anybody else to do it there isn't enough money to do yeah. that but it was that was that was basically the seeds that you planted it was like well if nobody else is if if my demos aren't ready for other people then i'll put them out myself because this is how much i believe in this and i believe in myself really isn't it yeah i, I mean i think you know i was even maybe a little bit too eager at first with with the, i think the first release that we did on audio addict you know uh so back in 2010 so 13 years ago um the tunes were my tunes maybe weren't quite ready yet but i was so so eager to to get stuff out there that you know we spent all this money getting loads of vinyls pressed and you know we didn't really sell that many of them but it, it was still kind of like the my introduction to uh putting music out there but yeah that that was that was it really like when it first started it was more about like you know i'm i've got a vision of what i want to do and you know other labels might not want to take a chance on me but like i i want to take a chance on me you know and i want to put i want to put all my money and everything i've got into this into this label and this venture you know yeah yeah so you mentioned we there was another you had a business partner as well didn't you you launched labels with somebody um, else a friend didn't you it's chris uh my selector i think you might have done an interview with him years years oh yes 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 i did yeah yeah he did breaks as well and stuff like that i've spoken to him he's still doing stuff now isn't he yeah yeah i was on the phone to him the other day so he's literally like one of my best mates like from from back in Coventry when we went to school together and we you know we grew up together and yeah we, we both started the label together and and it was you know again it was to get both of our you know music out there and you know he's he's gone through um you know many musical journeys like you know he started off making drum and bass and then he kind of started making dubstep and then he sort of went down the more breaks kind of route and and the, the one the 130 ish kind of uh, stuff you know um and and obviously he makes he makes still makes like jungle stuff as well you know but yeah we we kind of started the label together um you know and, and we at first it was a joint venture and then i think you know gradually over time he had a different project that he wanted to work on like he had a, his own label that he wanted to work on so he kind of went off and, and did that and that was in more in the 130 kind of spectrum and i kind of carried on with with audio addict and even done with dogs more in the, the 174 dmb kind of realm you know so yeah 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 well huge shouts to chris there i'd totally forgotten yeah but i was a huge supporter of him of him yeah. on that radio show that i was supporting a lot of your yeah. releases on sure. as well brilliant i mean at what point was there a point where you felt that people were starting to pay attention and you know there, that it was you know was there a significant release or moment where you thought okay this is all starting to kind of fall into place here slowly. Yeah, I mean, I think probably about 10 years ago now, almost like nearly not far off, hang on, 10 years ago, because it was in it was November 2013. I think I'd been releasing a few bits and bobs here and there over the years and maybe had a little bit of support, and but nothing had really kind of broke through yet. You know, there wasn't any kind of like, um you know i was putting music out there but i I didn't really feel like much people were paying attention you know and then in 2013 
I made a tune called Bad Boy. And, you know, I I felt like it had a lot of potential, you know, um, and I actually sent it to a couple of labels and heard nothing back from them, you know. So I was almost like kind of doubting this tune, thinking, oh, maybe it's not, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not so great after all, you know. And, and in the end, after not hearing back from labels, I thought, right, I'm just going to put it out myself on Deep in the Jungle. And, yeah, I put, I put it out and it went straight to number one you know as soon as it came out and i feel like that was like the first tune that i made which kind of became a big tune you know that when i would um when i'd go and do shows like people would say are you playing that or people would say i love that tune bad boy so yeah that i feel like that was definitely the first little kind of push that my career had in terms of like you know getting support from from bigger heads you know getting a number one like chart position because that, that had never happened to me before which obviously like a big thing at the time and and also yeah I suppose just getting more recognition from uh, from promoters and getting more bookings off the back of that like it was I feel like it was after that release that I started getting booked on like Jungle Jam in Leeds for example and and you know there was a few more promoters specifically jungle promoters as well like the jungle alliance guys uh, down in brighton mark and mark they started booking me so yeah, i feel like that from that tune onwards it definitely gave me a push especially in the in the specifically in the jungle scene as well you know because people were like really interested in the fact that it was like a a new school jungle tune but it it kind of sat had a bit of an old school feel to it and you know yeah i i can imagine that as well because there was i mean there was a lot of solidarity between people who were flying the jungle flag because i mean jungle is incredibly relevant right at this moment there's been Mm. at least three or four renaissances since then like but at that time 10 years ago 12 years ago people weren't using the word like they do now people weren't playing with breakbeats quite so much there was a lot more emphasis more on the kind of drum and bass sound really and we come through another really kind of commercial period where we had the first drum and bass number ones there was a lot of big kind of dance floor tracks and stuff like that jungle wasn't really getting a look in at all really so like you know when you launched deep in the jungle it really wasn't the the word jungle the sounds the ideas and stuff and the whole culture surrounding it was nowhere near as popular or as um yeah yeah as popular as as it is now in any Mm. type of way really was it yeah yeah no i mean you know my original influence for starting deep in the jungle was not because it was uh, popular, but almost the opposite, because at the time it was very underground. And mm. I was really getting into this kind of underground movement of jungle that was happening. Um, and almost it was cool because I felt like, you know, not as many people were up on it back then. And it was definitely the more kind of like mashup, amen kind of stuff um, that I was listening to at the time. Like, um, uh, just trying to think off the top of my head, but, you know, like uh, Omen Break, um kid lib uh people like that uh green bay wax and stuff like that and you know all all of that stuff that was coming out i was just you know thinking like yeah this is this is really really cool this stuff and i want to start um start a label that focuses on the the underground kind of jungle stuff that's happening and and then through that it kind of you know came up on a bit of a wave then as as jungle then i suppose like the new school jungle movement as people like to call it it kind of coincided with um with the early days of, of the label really and also my my career as well you know so it all kind of like went came in sync together i suppose 
Yeah, and loads of other people's careers as well. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, you know, like we've mentioned, Epicenter. I know that he yeah. put his first ever release was on Euphonics label, Subwoofer, but then yeah, that's, not long that's after, he had a huge body of work then with you, Kumarachi, yeah. RMS then as well from yeah. Canada and stuff like that. I mean, there was this huge kind of just loads of, you know, you, uh, did you notice lots more artists then starting to send you more demos as the years went by, as um, you know, people were remembering the roots of this sound, really, and getting back into that breakbeat style and the jungle yeah. kind of the technique, really, I guess, or, or vibe. Yeah, I feel like, you know, at first it was definitely like me kind of, look, you know, searching SoundCloud for these producers that were making uh, all this, like, really kind of fast, crazy amen kind of stuff, like... Uh, um, you know, DJ LAB and like uh, Super Ape and people like that. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like the stuff I was looking at, also Criminal Sound as well. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the stuff I was looking for at the start. And then I feel like as things kind of moved on, we started getting an influx of demos that were kind of that style, but then also very much, I suppose you could say, like the kind of, kind of Blade Runner influenced kind of new school jungle thing. So it wasn't so much like crazy amens, it was more like kind of strip back kind of think breaks and, and nice deep reaches and things like that, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, I definitely noticed there, there was definitely like, it felt like there was like a big boom at one point in the early days of the label. And, um, and yeah, we just started getting an influx of demos from all, from all these new artists that were, I you know. What, I always thought as well that um, a few years earlier is when Ray Keefe started releasing his dread sample packs and I feel I always feel like that had a big impact on things because back then you had your really old jungle sample packs from back in the 90s that people would have on CDs and things like that. But you couldn't really buy stuff like that online. It was more like you had to know somebody who knew someone who still had all this stuff backed up. Yeah. And then Ray Keefe started putting out all these dread sample packs that had all the original dread breaks and, you know, obviously with Blade Runner and stuff as well. And I, I just feel like that, even people that were specifically making uh, drum and bass at that point, I feel like the the sample packs being out there and, and being readily available to people, that really kind of influenced people to work with jungle breaks more and, and then even influenced them to make more, more jungle tunes in general, you know. Mm. And then a couple of years later, you have a look at the sound and you see like people like Blade Runner and Serum kind of taking the lead. It was Blade Runner that Ray made those sample packs with. And he actually yeah. talks about you in his book. Um, you know, when I, I co-wrote a book with him and he talks about that because he did an interview with you on his Blueprint radio show. Um, yeah. I think it was Blueprint. I can't remember. Yeah, Blueprint. Now. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, could and highlights you as the kind of, you know, the, the leader of, you know, the new generation of Jungle craftspeople. But that sample pack did like Splice's have now such a huge influence because yeah he mentions that and highlights you as one of those kind of leaders of the new school of jungle really Mm. and that's something to really bear in mind is the influence of things like sample packs because sample packs were still you know those cds that really famous samples came about from like valley of the shadows and stuff like that intro is just taken straight from a sample pack but nobody else had used it in that way so and that's the beauty of sampling isn't it and and a huge influence the sample packs have on things really isn't it yeah for sure i mean you know i i still i I mean i i've gone kind of out of my way over the years to collect all of these original jungle sample packs, you know, because you can't you can't buy them for love or money. You have to know someone 
has them still. Wow, so go on. gradually over the years, I've managed to to compile all of these really, really old original jungle sample packs. Uh, and also shout out to DJ Vapor because he definitely helped me a lot with that. He, you know, he had a lot of the, the old ones that I couldn't find anywhere. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, you know, um, I definitely went for a phase of like going back through all these old jungle sample packs and finding a lot, like you say, the, these original samples that were used from Valley of the Shadows and the original sample that was like the, you know, like the dread bass and stuff mm. like that. It's like a reverse square wave, you know, all of these like original sample packs and going back and almost starting at the, the, at the source and trying to recreate that and then, and then work forward from that, you know. And then obviously I, I went into kind of through that making making my own sample packs a little bit further down the line, you know. Massively. I've kind of, I'm torn between kind of running a parallel with like an Indiana Jones style DJ hybrid going back to find the original artifacts or like a scholar style DJ hybrid who's going yeah. back to the original scriptures. But either way, you're going back to the roots in order to plant a new tree in that type of way. So with your own sample packs now, do you hear yourself echoing back in other people's tracks, submissions <laughs> that you get, other people, you know, things that you're yeah. buying on down on Beatport and stuff? Can you hear your own sample? now echoing back yeah. at you i i actually hear a lot of examples in a lot of people's <laughs> tunes and, and sometimes they're like some pretty big big people as well you know like um i mean i you know me and my mate were driving to a show not so long ago and there was a there was a tune on the radio and there's like this little this kind of little glitch drum fill that i made in one of my first sample packs that i made with this glitch kind of um this glitch plugin and that that's been used by a lot of people over the years and it, there was some tune that was on the radio that had that sample in it and i was just like i swear that was a sample out of my sample pack so, so yeah it's really weird because wow. you, it's a it's a sound that you've heard so many times so you all your ear just kind of like tunes into it straight away yeah um but yeah i mean there's a lot of especially a lot of the the newer producers coming through over over the last you know five or so years or whatever obviously i definitely hear a lot of uh sample a lot of my samples been used uh, you know in their music but then also over the years there's been a few like bigger producers as well uh you know like spy for example um there's been a couple of spy tunes where i've noticed him using a couple of my samples which is amazing to me because obviously i'm a huge fan of spy um so yeah it's really... do you take that as a compliment yeah for sure yeah i mean i'm, I'm certainly not anyone that has any hang-ups about uh, i mean i to be fair if i had a problem with people using them i, I wouldn't put out so many sample packs you know you wouldn't put them out in the um, first place yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. i think you know like some people are a little bit more precious about things like that but i i feel like you know because i very much come from the background now of you know using these old school jungle sample packs and things like that i feel like i've kind of almost like created my own versions of those and quite often, um, a few of the newer producers that have come through over the years, because they're obviously a lot younger than me, uh, you know, I've gone out of my way to send them some of these original jungle sample packs because to help influence them with their productions, you know, because they they probably wouldn't even know about these packs, you know. So I almost like pass it on like a to the younger generation kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So they're still carrying some of the original, original DNA. So it's still kind of, you know, but it's it's how they interpret it and how they build it and flip on it themselves with their ideas and their own. Yeah, yeah. And that's really and that, like that. That's always been my my mission, really. To you know, obviously, as drum and bass evolves and and you know becomes as as big as it's you know becoming now, 
I've always, my mission has always been to like make sure that jungle doesn't get lost in between that, you know, and, and I feel like from being so prolific with, you know, with the label, but then also with sample packs and obviously passing these, these other old school sample packs on to people, it's kind of, you know, it keeps people interested in using breaks and, and, you know, even like jump up producers, you know, they might have like some jungle breaks in their intros or they might have like a little jungle break drum fill and it still just keeps that original jungle sound like alive in, in a scene that's just like ever expanding, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that dedication and then that, that loyalty to the culture in a way. And I want to know about your creative approach. So you said you were creative ever since you can remember really in that type of way. And my favorite thing about creativity, and one day I'm going to make a documentary about this, mm. is when you get that idea. And you get that idea and nothing else matters. You could have people phoning you up. You could have anything coming to your door or any type of situation, but it doesn't matter because you've got that idea and you're going to see this through. And it always gets to the point then when suddenly that idea spirals and it all gets, you know, there's a lot of other things come into it. And then it turns into more of a kind of an operational chore, a problem to solve. But that first idea, like I got goosebumps now. Yeah. I fucking love that that's what drives yeah. me it makes me do what i do and i would imagine if you know if you're always creative and you're always doing that that's probably you can you can relate to that experience yeah 100 percent. i feel it's like the best like, feeling what, in the world isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah no um what you were just saying then about you know, having that creative spark and, and yeah like in that moment like nothing else matters apart from that from that creative spark and getting that idea down you know and i feel like you know uh over the years that's definitely been uh, you know, out of everything I do, like, I, I love I love every aspect of, of what I do and, and my role in the scene and, and this, that and the other. But uh, and obviously traveling and doing shows and, and all this kind of stuff. But nothing, um, you know, nothing fulfills me more or makes me feel more content with um, with myself as, a, as an artist or, or, you know, whatever. Nothing makes me feel more content than than getting, you know, being creative and getting that idea down that you're happy with and it just it just makes your self-worth just goes like that you know because you it just makes you feel like you're really doing something you know so yeah I think you know um yeah, I've always been a very creative person and, and that the creativity is definitely what what drives me you know yeah. enthusiasm to be creative do you get ideas in really random places like because you can start off a day thinking right okay today i've got to do this i might i've got to email that person i gotta go and see this person i gotta sort that mm. out but then something will hit you you have one of these ideas and you go through this situation and suddenly you've yeah. got to think right okay i'm gonna park all of that because i need to get on my door or for me it's like you know i need to get on the phone or i need to be writing stuff do yeah. you I, I mean do you have days like that where because the creative urge is so strong and the idea is so strong that you have had to go right all of that can wait until tomorrow i need to get this shit done yeah in fact that's kind of what i've done the last two weeks actually i've, I've actually, <laughs> actually purposely slapped on like all of my label admin and, and everything um purely because i've had a really good creative spurt in the studio you know and uh, last month I was really busy doing shows and I ended up not really getting in the studio for, or making any new music for like a month and that like being a creative person that really makes me feel miserable if I'm not actively mm. creating all the time so yeah it was like a long well overdue kind of creative spurt really and I think you know for the last week or so I've probably just just focused on being creative and writing tunes and I'll probably you know wrote about seven or eight new tunes in the last in the last 10 days or whatever you know Brilliant. um so yeah that <laughs> this last week has literally been one of those times yeah 
Go on, amazing. And do you get ideas in really random places or really random times? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, to be honest, like the way I it's kind of tackle like creativity now is I just try and just write as much as possible. Like, you know, and when I mean write, I just mean like, you know, it, it could be in the studio writing music or it could just be like on a train writing, making notes in my phone of ideas and influences. You know, if I hear something that influences me, I'll make a note of it. If I have an idea for a, you know, a, a bass line or a, a drum pattern or something, I make a note of it. And it's just that uh, constant, relentless repetition of, you know, writing and being creative as much as possible so that you're almost like flexing your, your creative muscles, you know, so that they, you, you don't, because um, if, if you don't, if you're not constantly doing that, you you know, you, your, crea- your creativity, you kind of, it, by the time you actually get an opportunity to be creative, you're, you're rusty. And then yeah. you, that's when people get frustrated and feel like they have writer's block or something. Well, you just get so lost. You get so lost because you've had so many different thoughts bulging up inside that you're not focused and you're not yeah. like, uh, you know, you can't articulate yourself. Yeah, it's like a discipline, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah, that's it. It's a discipline. It's it's like uh, I remember listening to an interview with Artificial Intelligence many, many years ago on Radio 1. And uh, the way they spoke about uh, making tunes, they spoke about it like it was almost like Kung Fu. Like every like every day, you have to practice your kung fu, and it's it's like that. It's exactly that kind of thing. And I know not everyone. It's not realistic to say that everyone can be in the studio actively making a tune every day. But you can you can still be creative, and you can still write every day, no matter where you are, because you've always got your phone. Where you can make a voice note, or you can actually write a note, or or if you're working with someone, you can you know send like voice notes, WhatsApp, and things like that. So, or even, you know, like there's a few times where I've got like the Splice uh, app on my phone. And so I could be like traveling on the train journey, um, going through with my headphones on, going through Splice and and maybe finding a vocal or something that I want to work with in the studio next week and, and then downloading it on my phone and having it ready to to go in the studio. So, so yeah, I've, I feel like I notice other people talking about writer's block and things like that and personally I, I don't really feel like I've ever really struggled with writer's block but I feel like it's because I'm just always being creative no matter where I am you know I'm always trying to like you know practice my, my kung fu or, or you know flex my creative muscles anytime I can you know yeah 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 you let that out so you're not bottling up you're not thinking oh i'll get back to that when i've got the headspace if even if you've got 10 minutes or you're on a journey or you're on a you know not it's not what people would traditionally see as a creative environment you'll still get something out in order to kind of make sure that you feel fulfilled in that type of way yeah or or like in the evening you know i might be sat watching tv in the evening and you know i get an idea and have to run in the studio and write it on a notepad and then go back to watching TV, you know, but it, <laughs> it's, it's, I think sometimes it's, it's just having, being in the, um, the mindset of like, you know, any, any little thing that comes to your mind, it's like getting it down because I feel like some people, they might have these ideas, but then they just kind of let them pass them by and they don't write it down. And then it, it, you know, they maybe forget it by the time they get in the studio, you know? Yeah. Or it changes or it loses its impact or you yeah. think, Oh, I'll remember that. And then of course yeah. you don't, because <laughs> it's, we're just constantly being bombarded with information yeah. that we're you know lucky to remember our own names sometimes. Cause there's just so much information <laughs> happening yeah. all the time. If you get an idea, always get it down. So you haven't had writer's block, which I think most producers are probably uh, I mean, like, like sitting there thinking like, what? Yeah. But, I'm not saying that I've like never had it in my entire life. Like there's inevitably been, there's inevitably days where I sit down in the studio and it's just not happening 
but yeah. I feel like I also know now, um, like over the years, you know, my, I've refined my creative approach and I, and I know now not to get frustrated at myself. If I do have a day where I sit down in the studio and I just can't get anything together and nothing's happening, you know, it's, it's you know, like tomorrow's another day. And, you know, you can't, if it's not coming naturally, you can't force it. And if you try and force it, you're only going to end up frustrating yourself. So sometimes it's like knowing when, you know, to, I suppose like, you know, the, the, the most valuable tool you can have creatively is is knowing um, when to capitalise on your creativity or not, you know, yes. because you could, and, and vice versa, like if you know that you're not, going to achieve anything creatively that day is knowing to put a pin in it and say right i'll try again tomorrow but then in the same way you you know you were just saying about sacking everything off to to mm. indulge in your creativity it's also having that thing to know that when you do feel a creative spurt coming on it's knowing when and how to capitalize on that creativity and kind of like milking it for everything it's got you know because and again that's what i did last week you know i wrote like seven tunes or something you know yeah and i think the longer you do this and the longer you know yourself the the deeper you are in this game the more you can see those signs and you can see it's like right okay i know that this is going to come now so this is what i need to put in place in order to get the most out of me in this type of situation and yeah like definitely that. look I, I watch um i watch a lot of interviews and stuff with you know rick rubin mm. and I've, i you know i find all of that stuff like super helpful and like one thing he always says uh, and it's so true like as a producer it's like the, the way he says it is like he him himself like he can't make the magic happen but he knows what to do with it when the magic does happen so it's like him he doesn't possess the ability to just make that magic happen but he has the ability to capitalize on it when it does happen you know and and that's kind of i feel like that's what i'm like sometimes you know it doesn't always naturally come to me but when it does then i i know how to to make most of it basically yeah grab it and run with it and in that way on the flip then and i'm always interested in this um and they always seem incredibly positive so this might not be the easiest question to answer what challenges like what you know when you look back over your career so far and everything that we've discussed what have been the times where it's been hard to get up in the morning and be that dj hybrid and do all of these things you know have there been moments where you've you've doubted yourself or you've doubted the scene or you've been thrown a curveball which has been incredibly tricky to maneuver around what mm. challenges have you faced in that type of way um i feel like yeah i mean inevitably like you know everyone does have like challenges and challenging times in their career i feel like you know probably around covid and, and all of the pandemic it was that was definitely like a, a bit of a, a weird time for me because uh, i mean i know we spoke about it previously but i was like just about uh, to go out and do a uh, my debut new zealand uh, australia tour before covid happened so that all got oh, sacked like, literally like you were about to head out just oh, yeah i was um, two like my I was two days away from going out there for the... We did an interview on UKF about yeah, it, didn't Yeah, we, we? did. We yeah. spoke about it years ago. So that period of time, and then I kind of like, you know, when when there was the, the period of lockdown, I feel like I went in on the labels, basically. Like, I really put, like, a lot of my time and effort into the labels, and, and that was around the time I was relaunching Audio Addict, and... Mm put a lot of my time and effort into bringing new artists through and, and, you know, help, well, just, yeah, just getting new artists on board and things like that. 
Um, but yeah, I feel like in that time, I kind of I put so much effort into the labels and other people's careers that I kind of slacked a little bit on my own, you know. And um, about six months down the line, there was all these new names coming through, all these younger kind of like, you know, these younger up and coming producers that everyone got really excited about. Um, and, and which was great uh, for, for the label, especially. But then I kind of found um, myself, I kind of felt like I'd almost like uh, not been as prolific during that time. And, and also mm-hmm. not like been like forgotten about or anything. But, you know, at the same time, I I feel like, you know, people maybe weren't as excited about my music um, specifically and more excited about like the newer artists that were coming through on the labels, you know, so inevitably you know you as a, a creative person or an artist you you do have moments where you you doubt yourself and you doubt yeah. your ability and um you know i think as well with a lot of these new uh these new artists that are coming through they're all super technologically advanced you know they've all grown up um having all of these things at their fingertips they're all they've all grown up in the age of social media so all of these all these social media activities come very natural to them mm. um so yeah I, I've, I've maybe felt like at times that you know i maybe wasn't able to to gain the same reach and things like that on social media because i wasn't as comfortable uh putting myself out there on social media as much as some of these the younger people were and things like that and then also, like, in terms of, like, technical ability, you know, like, I've never seen myself as a massively technical person in the studio, more just, like, creative person in the studio. But I feel like a lot of the younger people that are coming through uh, were, yeah, just more technologically advanced than me. <laughs> Again, they've grown up. They've grown up with, like, you know, kind of with computers, whereas, yeah. you know, in our generation, there was a certain point in our kind of early childhood when it came in. So it wasn't just something that we were naturally born with. Yeah. And we can remember a time before the internet and social media and things like exactly. that. Whereas the new generation now in their early twenties, they were born with keyboards at their fingertips yeah, yeah. straight away. Like I, you know, I, I didn't even really start producing. I mean, I started learning how to produce when I was like 19, but I didn't really properly start producing until I was about 21, you know, and some of these uh, kids that are coming through now, they've been, uh, you know, producing on their laptop at home since they were like 13, 14 years old, you know? So, um yeah by the time they're you know 20 21 they're like really experienced and, and know what they're doing and that's obviously why i've seen such an influx of young people come through um but yeah i think you know at times it, especially because i work with a lot of these younger artists coming through on the labels and you know so i was seeing a lot of these people come through with uh, these really impressive tunes and then you know inevitably that made me feel like uh, you know i was a li- maybe a little bit behind the curve maybe and it was at that point that i kind of decided to upgrade my studio and and basically get all new stuff to work with because i'd actually been using the same stuff for like the last 10 years like i was literally on i was i was still on um windows xp till about three years ago so (laughs) yeah i've I've literally like this this new computer behind me like i've had this for like a couple of years but before that i was on like a proper old school setup that i'd had since i was like a teenager essentially wow wow so yeah. a lot of all of the tracks that kind of made your career and got you to this point up until a couple of years ago really were made on the same setup and things yeah. like that yeah <laughs> there's a really lovely kind of wholesome diy authentic jungle spirit there really yeah yeah <laughs> 
but there's yeah. also a point where you have to admit that you do need to update and you do need to move yeah, with the times. That, and that's what I mean. And that, that was that point sort of, you know, around that time of lockdown, COVID, all of these new artists coming through it, you know, I, I started to feel almost like a little bit, like I say, like behind the curve compared to some of these new people coming through. And um, I was still using, you know, the same synths I've been using for 10 years and everyone was starting to use different synths like Serum and things like that. Um, I couldn't even install Serum on my old computer because it wasn't, it couldn't hack 64-bit <laughs> uh, software. So I had to, I had to basically completely, you know, re-upgrade everything and, you know, not like, you know, start from scratch, but, you know, I, I definitely had to start a new, a, a fresh chapter with a, with a new setup and, and basically get used to all of these newer uh, software and simps and plugins that people were using, you know, because I, I felt yeah, like yeah. I, I had to really, you know. Was that a struggle then when you were getting used to the new technology where, mm. you know, you were almost, you, you had to refine your sound and your yeah, yeah, definitely. processes? I, I feel like at first, yeah, I definitely, because again, you know, a lot of the stuff that I made on my old setup, especially like my, my jungle stuff, you know, it was with certain synths that I've been using for years. And then obviously on my new setup, I was using... Uh, some of the newer synths like Serum and and obviously they're they're brilliant synths but a lot of the sounds you get out of them sound very like modern kind of neuro jump up kind of big big mm. sounding stuff so yeah inevitably I feel like I had a, a definitely a period of time you know whether it be like maybe six months to a year where I was I was working on music and I was putting music out but I was, yeah, I definitely feel like I had to like readjust myself to it and, and almost refine my sound. And I suppose that kind of contributed to my sound evolving, you know, over the yeah. over the years to where I'm at now, you know. So, so yeah, it was definitely a kind of a weird in between uh, point in in my uh, career. I think, you know. Yeah, I didn't realize quite as much. You know, I, I I'd forgotten that. Yeah, we spoke literally days before you were about to go on tour and then lockdown. Mm. I didn't realize quite how turbulent that was for you but you've come out the other side and this is something that we've spoken about before but i don't think that much of the interview there's a clip of it on my bolter video but we spoke about this it was this amazing post of yours earlier on this year and i got i can get goosebumps now thinking about it you just come back from your u.s tour mm. you were doing a show at cool and and you had a release on ram records as well it was just a really nice moment and it wasn't a humble brag or if it was just a poster just like i'm really happy at the moment like you know i just come back from america i've got this release i'm on my way to cool or you just done your cool show yeah and there was like this i've got goosebumps now i can feel them coming up my body and it was just like fucking go on lad like just yeah. that's you know and it's those type of moments that you know they're rare in your career because you're so busy working towards something and then once you've got to that there's another point and another point and you're always on that creative drive to have those type of moments where it's just like okay yeah i can pause just for a second and go i i've achieved a few things here this is significant mm -hmm that was a lovely moment really to look back on and i think you know to summarize where you're at now because i think that buzz is still there in everything that you're putting out into the world and everything you're doing now a few months later yeah definitely i mean i you know i i certainly like don't allow myself enough to kind of savor and enjoy those moments you know um, no one does we don't we don't yeah. have enough and, time and it, it never to do kind that. of it's never quite how you expect it to be but like yeah when you do have those moments i think that that one in particular as well it was it was one of those things where i was you know thinking i was i was on the train on the way home from doing my, my first call fm show and yeah the, the i just come back from tour in america and the, i just had a baby release on ram records that was coming out the next day and it was just that that uh, the thought uh, of like basically if i could 
go back and tell my 18 or 21 year old self that all those, those three things would be happening, you know, not yeah. just in my lifetime, but happening within <laughs> a few weeks of each other. Yeah. Um, I probably, when I was younger and I was aspiring to, to be involved in the scene, I probably couldn't have thought of a better combination of things to happen to me or my yeah. career than that. And, and yet yeah, that was the, the reality that I was living at that very, very moment, you know. So, see, I, d- I don't allow myself to enjoy those moments nearly as much as I should, but that was definitely one of those, like, point of reflection moments where I, I was just sat on the train and yeah, just feeling very nice and, and positive and, and happy really and content. Amazing. I hope you get to feel like that many more times in the future as well, but nobody does this for those self-congratulatory moments. Even yeah. if you think, Oh, it'd be amazing to do that. You never, while you're in the moment and I've spoken to people like with my own successes or people who've had huge successes, <laughs> you know, paid to, you know, massive arenas and stadiums. They, it's all so you know like the energy is happening in that moment you don't get that time whatever whatever success it is you don't give yourself that time because you're really focusing on fucking smashing it at that moment and then the minute it's over you might celebrate but then you've moved on there's another thing that's open another door is open even in the past when i've like won awards and stuff like Mm. it's never how you imagine it would be in your head like in in your head you imagine it being like a a movie or something you know like a (laughs) movie when someone's like yeah i've done it and it's not like that at all it's like you you do it you you get the award and then the next day it's like all right well what what we're doing now is back you know it's just back to the grind again you know and it's it's you know it's weird how you can achieve these things which kind of are, are really cool things to achieve but but you yeah naturally you don't let yourself uh savor them as as much and you it's just kind of back to work again and and back to the 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 normal stuff you know yeah because that moment is gone and you want to create another moment like that in the future really and it's always about kind of surging into the future and with that in mind and kind of wrapping up what ambitions or what what would you like to achieve in the next kind of few years really there is there anything that's still on your list to do in that type of way or what can people expect from you as we move into a new year and things like that yeah, I think, you know, going forward, I probably want to do a, a, probably a bit more of what I've done this year, but but pushing it even further, you know, like I, I really want to expand with the labels that I'm working with and, you know, tip maybe even try and take another couple of like legendary labels off my bucket list. You know, I want to uh, next year do, do more tours and things like that as well. Like, you know, I'm already looking at doing like another... Uh, one or two tours in America and Canada next year and uh, potentially like Australia and New Zealand as well. So, so yeah, I think next year it's probably just going to be more or the next few years, it's just going to be more of what I've done this year, but just trying to push it even further really. Um, and then obviously the usual kind of thing of, of, you know, bringing new artists through on the label and, and things like that. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the, the main thing and the, the main thing that it, it will always be for me is just trying to work on music as much as possible and, and just trying to be creative as much as possible, really, and, and just forever kind of trying to refine my, my sound and just forever trying to be influenced by things that I find interesting. And, and yeah, just, just constantly keep that creativity going and and finding enjoyment in that creative process and and trying to do that as much as possible really you know yeah yeah and it doesn't sound like you know it sounds like you get more and more fun out of that process the deeper you're getting into this as well you know so some artists or some people 
unfortunately get jaded with that process but you're always looking for something new it seems really that's what i'm taking from this whole conversation yeah i think like some producers they're they're very very technical um and i feel like i'm maybe not so much on the technical side but very much on the creative side you know it's like i'm not the most kind of scientific producer in the studio um but you know if i if i have an idea you know i'm i'm very good in terms of like you know maximizing on my creativity and things like that um so yeah i feel like i'm i'm kind of the person the sort of person that's like i'm always going to be seeking that fulfillment um from from being creative and and as it happens the only way that i can really get that fulfillment is be actively working on music all the time you know and and sometimes you know it doesn't even matter if it's if it's stuff that's going to get released or if it's my best work, it's just, you know, sometimes it's just purely being creative for the sake of being creative, like just writing, just, just write, you know? Um, so yeah, that, I feel like that is pretty much my main kind of driving force in, in life really. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. I can relate to that as well. And I find it incredibly inspiring to hear that from others as well. And long may that drive continue, man. And long yeah. may our interviews continue. I've lost count. Yeah, many times. Welcome. But this has been certainly one of the most extensive and one of the most yeah. revealing. Um, and I hope anybody listening uh, takes a lot of inspiration from that as well. So yeah, DJ Hybrid, thank you so much, man. Thank you.